You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. This is the podcast where we talk about everything. And today is August 19th, 2021. It's a Thursday. This is episode 130 of season three, episode 195 of this podcast. I want to do something a little bit different in this episode. I want to read for you a sermon I had prepared for a preaching and teaching training at Summit View Community Church, which I was not able to deliver, or at least I have not yet been able to deliver. Hopefully, I get an opportunity to on the other end of this quarantine for my wife's COVID, our COVID, more than just my wife probably have COVID in my household. But so far, she's the only one with real obvious symptoms. The rest of us are just a little bit under the weather, but not too, too bad. So without further ado, I'm going to read this for you. I typed it up. It's a manuscript. It's about 1,500 words long. And then I want to talk a little bit more about it since I don't have the same time constraints on my podcast that I do in this classroom environment. So without further ado, we'll jump right in. Thank you for being here with me and for endeavoring with me in this effort to learn better how to rightly divide the word of truth for God's glory and the benefit of those around us, and even ourselves, if that is not too selfish a thing to say. Tonight, or this morning, as the case may be, I want to share with you from the Apostle Paul's second letter to his much younger disciple, Timothy, overseer of Christ's church at Ephesus. In 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 we read, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You all are no doubt familiar with the words of this passage, but what do they mean? Let us start with the phrase, all scripture. There is a lot in the Bible And even the Apostle Peter says that some of what the Apostle Paul writes is, quote, hard to understand, end quote. Yet Peter affirms Paul's writing as scripture. The first thing we need to understand from this part of Paul's letter to Timothy is that even the parts of the Bible we find odd or mysterious or difficult to accept or hard to understand are God-breathed. But that brings us to our next question. What does it mean that all scripture is breathed out by God? Have you ever felt a horse exhale on your hand and wondered at how big and powerful that creature is? Have you ever felt the soft, sweet puff of a baby's breath on your cheek? However powerful and pure those seem to us, consider this, the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, and entirely holy God breathed out the scriptures every one of them. But what else did God breathe out and breathe into? Remember how 
God created man in Genesis 2, 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. But suppose we readily come to terms with God breathing out the scriptures. What does it mean that all scripture is profitable? For something to be profitable, there has to be gain, and this calls to mind what Jesus says in Matthew thirteen, forty-four through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Paul next tells us that the scriptures are not just profitable in the abstract, but they are profitable for specific critical tasks. Teaching. Proverbs 4, 1-2 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. So then, we can gather from this that sound teaching helps us to acquire good insight. Reproof. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Here we see that hating reproof is, in the blunt language we sometimes find in God's word, stupid. Furthermore, we see that loving knowledge and discipline is something of an opposite to the stupidity of hating reproof. Correction. Jeremiah 10.24 says, Correct me, O Yahweh, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. And don't we also want to be corrected in gentleness and respect? As much as we want God to be merciful to us rather than angry when he corrects us, don't we similarly want to be corrected by others when we need correcting in a way that does not bring us to nothing? Then we come to what I personally believe is the crux and climax of the matter, training in righteousness. 1 Timothy 4, 7-8 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Training in righteousness is training in godliness. And the Apostle Paul tells us that it benefits us to be so trained, both in this life and the life to come. So again, because we are a forgetful race and people, let's remind ourselves of the entire passage I want us to examine more closely tonight. Paul writes in 2 Timothy three, sixteen to 17 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But now, who is the man of God? Is that you? Is that me? Is that us? I found something interesting while I was studying and pondering this passage. 
If you search in the English Standard Version, BibleGateway.com, for this exact phrase, the man of God, comes up only once in the New Testament, in this exact passage. But that same phrase, the man of God, appears 55 times in the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? We find it once each in Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges, three times in 1 Samuel, 13 times in 1 Kings, 26 times in 2 Kings, once in 1 Chronicles, four times in 2 Chronicles, once in Ezra, twice in Nehemiah, once each in the Psalms and Jeremiah. But how is it used in those passages? In the Old Testament, the man of God refers to the likes of Moses, the angel of Yahweh, and Samuel, who is sometimes referred to as the kingmaker. In other words, this phrase is used to denote God's messengers. These are men called by God, sent by God to deliver his warnings, promises, and precepts to his people and the world. What do we find then? For one, the scriptures are not just information about God, according to Paul. The scriptures are God's very breath. They are his exhalations. Similarly, the man of God is not just any man. He is God's man, called by God and sent by God with a message from God to men and women and children created in the image of God. If we are the man of God, the recipients of God's message from us may be our wives, they may be our children. For that matter, they may also be anyone at all we come into contact with at church, at work, in our community, or in broader society. Now that we are sufficiently sobered by this idea and considering all our inadequacies in and of ourselves left to our own devices, let's continue on before we get discouraged. What does it mean that God's word completes us? Consider James 1, 2-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That sounds an awful lot like what Paul says to Timothy, doesn't it? But the scriptures are not only suitable to complete us. All scripture is also suitable to equip us. Remember what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus where Timothy is overseer. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 14, we read, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Consider the emphasis by way of repetition that God's word is profitable for training in righteousness in verse 16 and equipping us for every good work in verse 17. This is not mere redundancy because there is a distinction between being right with God and doing good work. Certainly, nevertheless, these two things, righteousness and every good work, are connected. And as Forrest Gump might say, righteous is as righteous does. And yet we know also, and should be very glad for the fact, that Christ's righteousness is credited to us 
by grace through faith. Amen. That concludes the reading of the sermon I had intended to deliver this past Sunday, August 15th, 2021. And I want to go back over some things because, as I said before, time constraints being such as they were for the class, you get several men who each are going to deliver a sermon. We can't all be preaching hour-long sermons or we're going to be there all weekend. But with the 10 minutes that I had, 10 to 15 minutes, I ended up taking about 10 to 12 minutes and I kept it brief. I think I did. Kept it succinct. I tried to cut out unnecessary things which didn't need to be in there, which might have been a distraction or at least a displacement. Because the more I would go into those things, the less time, the less room I would have for the really, really important content. If I only can fit 10 to 12 minutes worth of a message. What is that message about? And am I making sure that this is as nutrient dense as possible for you? Some highlights here. As I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about this idea that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And just that phrase there, All scripture is breathed out by God. That's a bold statement. That is a strong claim that this is not just information about God. This is God's very breath. God breathes out his word to us. Just think about that. Think about the poetic imagery, the symbolism. Think about how beautiful that is, how compelling that is. You think about your beloved breathing out their love for you, breathing out who they are, their very essence. There's something intimate in God breathing out the scriptures, something close, relational, something glorious in God breathing out the scriptures. And not just some scripture, some parts, the parts that we quote the most often, the parts that we understand the most readily, the parts that we accept easiest, the parts that we have a hard time with are breathed out by God. The parts that confuse us are breathed out by God. The parts we don't like because they convict us or because they challenge us or because they promise suffering, all of those parts and more are breathed out by God. God breathed is the way it's translated in some other versions. God breathed with a hyphen between those two words. God breathed all scripture is God-breathed. You know, it's funny. This is not the first time I've preached a sermon. Actually, the first time I preached a sermon, technically, literally, I preached on 
the church. I preached on the nature of the church. What is the church? Who does it belong to? Why is it here? How should we approach it? How should we think about it? How should we participate in it if we are in Christ? What should our attitude be? What should our involvement be? What should our engagement be? How do we go about loving the church well because we love God and are endeavoring to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind? And if you can guess it, I preached that first sermon at Yellowstone Community Church in Savage, Montana. The pastor was away. I believe he was at a conference. He and his wife were, if memory serves. There was a idea put forward initially that we were going to watch a sermon, a video of a sermon recording, and that was going to be our sermon. And I did not like that. I did not like that proposal. I was a deacon. I was on the governing board for the church, and it seemed to me at the time that we should not be falling back to watching a video of someone else preaching. Don't we have anybody with the wisdom, maturity, understanding to be able to preach and teach on a Sunday morning without having to find a video of somebody who doesn't know any of us, who doesn't know what our individual struggles are, what our struggle as a church is? Don't we have anybody in our midst who can preach a sermon? And so I asked to preach. And I was given permission, and I prepared my sermon, and I prepared my PowerPoint presentation, my slide deck. I had a clicker for advancing my slides, and I preached on the nature of the church. What is the church? Why is it here? Who does it belong to? Does the church belong to me? Because I'm the most recent person to get here. You want to be friendly to visitors and outsiders? Does it belong to me and I get to set the pattern because you're afraid of me going somewhere else and leaving? God forbid. Does the church belong to you over there because your grandfather built this church? Because you've been in this community for generations and you feel like you have an ownership of this church, a controlling interest in this church. And so things need to be done the way that you want them to be done. Nothing more, nothing less, no plan B, plan A. Well, no, God forbid. Does the church belong to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord? Does it rightfully belong to God himself, the creator of heaven and earth? And does he have plans and purposes for us as individuals and for our church as a local body of believers, a local gathering of believers in Jesus? It must, if we're not wasting our time, it must belong to God and it must belong to Christ. And if it doesn't, then what are we doing? Why are we here? If it doesn't belong to God and it doesn't belong to Jesus Christ, then it might not belong to you or I either. It might belong to Satan. But what is it that the Apostle Paul writes about the church and it being a body? He writes that each one of us is a different part of the body. 
and he compares the members of a church to the parts of a human body. He gets anatomical about it and says that some of us are eyes and ears and noses and feet and hands. Some of us are private parts, (laughs) which if I were Martin Luther, I might say some of us are the ass sometimes. (laughs) But... That's as true for me as it is for you. And Paul says in delicate, polite, much more appropriate language that we give greater honor to the unmentionable parts of our body. We don't keep them private because they don't have a purpose, because God made a mistake in making those parts a part of the body. We give greater honor And we should not say to any member of the body, I have no need of you because you do not have the function that I have. In a roundabout way, if we say that, we are saying to God that he's made a mistake. And the same response that God has to Job is the same response that we deserve. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge and understanding? So I preached that first sermon at Yellowstone Community Church in Savage, Montana. And that was very relevant to what that church needed to hear. And I believe that God's Holy Spirit resides in those who reside in Christ. And I believe that God led me by his word and by his spirit to preach that sermon at that church on that Sunday. And I was preaching on what the church is on God's terms. Here's what God's word says. Here's what the scriptures say about the church. And so when I was selecting a passage to preach from and on for this preaching and teaching training at Summit View Community Church, which I, again, am so thankful for, I chose this one, and I believe that God informed my choice by his word and by his spirit, Because we need to remember that. I'm not saying that I'm the only one thinking about this, but I am saying I feel called to remind us all that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. What's that word profitable in there for? Profitable. Beneficial. It is to our benefit. It is to our gain. We embrace all scripture. It's to our benefit and to our gain as individual believers in Christ. It is to our benefit as a church, as a local church, as the universal Catholic church in the original sense, not Roman Catholic, but the universal church of Christ, of the Messiah, of the only begotten Son of the Father. It is to our benefit as the church to remind ourselves and one another daily of all scripture and that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is to say, God gave us his word because he wants us to be taught. He wants us to be reproved. 
He wants us to be corrected. He wants us to be trained in righteousness. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to be equipped for every good work. This is not trivia. This is a mission. We're on a mission from God like the Blues Brothers. We've got things to do. We've got work to do. We have a purpose. We are supposed to be here. But why? And what should we be about while we are here? We have a limited amount of time. What are we going to do with it? And what should we do with it? Now, we could, and often do, make it up as we go, willy-nilly. And yet, that's where teaching, reproof, correction, and training come in. We are not complete, but God wants us to be complete. We don't start out equipped, but God wants us to be equipped. We need to be corrected when we err, when we stray from the truth, because God wants us to be corrected when we stray from the truth. That's why God gives us his word. He wants us to be corrected. If we say, when corrected, I have no need of you, then we are rejecting God's good gift to us. I'm struck by Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I've been talking a lot here lately, not just on the podcast, but in private conversations. And not just lately like the past few months, but the past several years about what is a proper way for us to handle disagreements. And I'm having a lot of private conversations with people I respect, whom I don't always agree with just because I respect them. And I hope they'll bear with me and forgive me for being long-winded and tiresome and obnoxious, sometimes borderline contentious, but other times earnestly desiring to be precise and thorough. Yes, I am exhausting. I know that. But it's for a good cause, hopefully, by God's grace. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Boy, that's blunt. And I don't think the moral of the story from this proverb is that we're supposed to go around calling one another stupid whenever we offer a challenge to something they've said and they respond poorly because sometimes we have a harsh word and it stirs up wrath and a gentle answer would turn away anger or we have a harsh answer and it stirs up anger and a gentle response, a gentle word would have turned away wrath and it would have prevented that from being a conflict. But other times there's just no explanation for the way that people respond, except however well we present the truth, however kindly, however diplomatically, however sweetly, however genuinely, however purely and faithfully we present the truth, they respond poorly because they hate reproof. They hate to be disagreed with. They hate to be challenged. They hate to be corrected. They hate to be rebuked. They hate most of the things 
for which the scriptures are profitable. And I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm talking about professing Christians. We are conceited and immature when we hate to be corrected, reproved, trained, taught. We are puffed up. Now, elsewhere in Proverbs, we read that a wise man will thank you when you correct him because he knows by being corrected, he can become more wise. He can become more correct. And whether or not you drew it to his attention, he's either correct or he's not correct. And so you're actually doing him a favor to correct him if he's not correct. A fool will hate you if you correct him. And most of us are not so wise as to thank someone when they give us correction, or at least we don't easily thank someone when they correct us and when the correction is valid. Most of us, at best, struggle with a double-mindedness where simultaneously we want to thank the person who's corrected us, and we also kind of want to punch them in the face. And we have these dueling ambitions, these dueling desires. On the one hand, we want to be wise. On the other hand, we want to hold on to our pride. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be challenged. And so what do we do? Well, maybe like the seven brothers in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, maybe we grit our teeth and we shake hands anyway. And we get a little better and a little better and a little better still at being wise. Maybe we ask God for wisdom like James talks about because we're promised by the brother of Jesus that if we ask, believing and not doubting, God will generously give us wisdom. But if we ask and we doubt, we become double-minded and unstable in all our ways. You know, I've been talking with a friend of mine, Travis Polk, here recently, about this question of being double-minded. How do we avoid being double-minded and unstable in all our ways? How can we be single-minded in the best sense? How can we be wholehearted in the best sense? And I'm thinking about it, and I'm turning this over in my head. And all I can figure is God's grace and discipline and embracing God's word and meditating on it day and night. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is profitable. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This isn't something where we build up ourselves and we build up this understanding and we know the answer to all these mysteries and we have no love and it is worthless. This is not a thing where you study the scriptures like the Pharisees did so that you can announce your giving tambourines and trumpets so that you can pray on the street corners these really impressive pious sounding prayers be heard by men seen by men now the inverse is we're also not supposed to be afraid of men so we shouldn't be studying the scriptures because we're afraid of looking stupid 
I'm afraid of embarrassing myself. So I'm going to study. Well, the fear of man lays a snare. So if that's what motivates us, if that's what drives us, is a fear of man, and we study accordingly, that's going to fundamentally alter the manner in which we study and the kinds of conclusions that we come to and the kinds of conclusions that we don't, more to the point, come to. If we study and we teach and we reprove and we correct and we train because of a fear of man, that's a trap. That lays a snare, as Proverbs says. But if we study to show ourselves approved, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, presenting ourselves to God as workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, that's a horse of a different color. So, coincidentally or not coincidentally, as the case may be, that's the next passage I'm going to be preaching on. 2 Timothy 2, 14-15 Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Once I have that sermon typed up, written, researched, prepared, I will be happy to share it with you. But for right now, i got to leave it there. That's all I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.